Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, that's my bad we didn't have an episode last week. Listeners, that's my bad we didn't have an episode on Thursday last week as I was traveling for work there. And so with that busyness behind me now, we are right back in it. But man, oh man, have things gotten crazy in the NHL playoffs. The Florida Panthers taken down the Boston Bruins in seven games, the most successful regular season team in NHL history, losing to the Florida Panthers. The Sabres, if you will remember, were just one point away, one win away from being in that spot and taking on the Bruins. And I'll be honest, I think the Sabres would have done it in five, but still congrats to Florida. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, it has been an incredible first round so far. The Kraken taking down the Colorado Avalanche. You had... Uh, what's this uh, Canadian team? Tampa? I don't know. It uh, doesn't really ring a bell. Uh, you had the Edmonton Oilers taking down the Kings. The Oilers were my pre-playoff Stanley Cup prediction. So that is still alive for me now at this point. They took that series in six games. You had the Hurricanes beating the Islanders in six games. The Stars took down the Wild in six. And of course, the Jets lost to the Golden Knights in five games. With that said, we only have one series remaining at the time of us recording this and that is the now seven game series between the devils and rangers so that's that's taking place on monday night going to be a really really exciting game as it has been a a back and forth series new jersey making a goaltending change to akira schmidt has completely turned their postseason hopes around now and they are now playing in game seven in new jersey tonight So with that being said, Taylor, I know you have, of course, as we both have been watching along with these series, but you have some some thoughts on the rankings of these series as far as how interesting they were. So do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think it was pretty much an interesting first round with the exception of one series. Uh, And you had pretty competitive ones, too. I believe there's a one five game and the rest of them were six and seven. So no sweeps. That's. Yeah. I think that's kind of rare for the first round, if I had to guess. At least you usually get more five-game series, but they're all pretty competitive. And right. I believe both of the one seeds are gone. Or, no, was Vegas a one seed? And there's a one and a two gone. Oh, either it's way. one and a two gone. Yeah, one and a two. Okay, yes, Vegas was the one seed. All right. So, yeah, I'll just get into that, starting with the least interesting. The only one I don't think there's really much to say about is Carolina versus the Islanders. 
maybe if this was a sweep and maybe if Carolina looked really dominant, it would be like, okay, this there is something here. Maybe Carolina's a maybe they're now the clear favorite for the cup, but not really. Like they they just kind of had a dull, some not quite even series with the Islanders. It was enough that like Carolina was clearly better, so that you never really got your, you know, any any non-Islanders fan could really get their hopes up that the Islanders were gonna win or make it that interesting. And on the other hand, they weren't that dominant. And it, they don't, neither of these teams play interesting hockey. It's kind of a rough watch. Uh, the Islanders, like we've said before, like they rely a lot on their goaltending. Uh, they're not even a strong defensive team like they were under trots. And Carolina is a strong defensive team. And they have talented players, but they play a pretty boring style. And they don't, neither of these teams uh, have very interesting games. So I don't really have any thoughts in this series. Basically, Not really. I think Carolina was one of, I mean, they were a preseason favorite to make a run this year. They have had some very unpredictable goaltending. It's been all over the place uh, for them throughout the season because, of course, now they have Ranta and Anderson, but you also had Kochekov, who was up for a while and looked pretty promising as a starter. And then going into this series, you would presume that it would be Freddie Anderson getting the start. At the beginning, but then it goes to anti-Ranta. And again, it, it's, it's just been back and forth and a bit all over the place. So, but still, Carolina is a good team. I mean, if you had to ask me going into the playoffs, like the two teams that I was least excited about watching, I would say probably Carolina and the Islanders make up maybe like two of like the three or four least interesting teams, maybe the Jets also being among them but they're pretty much at the bottom for obvious reasons. So yeah, no, not much to say there. I think it'll be interesting to see how Carolina is going to stack up against both the the Devils or the Rangers for two completely different reasons, but we can get to that once we figure out who the winner of game seven is tonight. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then next we have seventh. I put Vegas versus the Jets, the only five game series. It actually was interesting to start. Vegas is a one seed uh, the West just kind of had a bunch of teams, as we talked about near the end of the regular season, a bunch of these teams are just kind of stacked up near each other, like Dallas, Minnesota, Colorado, Vegas, Edmonton, almost LA a little bit. So being a one seed, it was just, it's not, they weren't a one seed the way Boston was. Uh, and they, they played the Jets who did not have a strong finish in the season at all. And basically seemed like by the end of the season that they were, a, uh, a one-man team with the one man being their goalie and just kind of a bunch of okay guys after that. Well, unfortunately for them, Hellebuck did not have a great playoffs. And Vegas kind of looked after, I would say some point in game three, a switch kind of flipped. Because at, at that point, it still seemed like an even series. Uh, and then when, when Vegas went in overtime there in game three, that just became like their series. And they dominated game four and five and closed things out. So they look really good. Uh, and even looking at uh, the the Winnipeg fans chanting like you're a backup, but Laurent Persois, he had a 9.15 save percentage in the playoffs. Hellebuck was an 8.86. Not a good series. If, if the Jets were going to make the series interesting or or win or whatever, they needed to be on Hellebuck's back because he, when he wants to be, and and most of the time is the best goalie in hockey or second to Igor Shesterkin. He's but he's right there regardless, and the team is not all that high quality around him, so. Yeah, the series got really not that interesting once he started playing poorly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting with Vegas. It, well, I'm going to get to Winnipeg after because I think Winnipeg has so many questions coming out of this series now in terms of the path forward for them. But when it comes to Vegas, you got to give them credit to the fact that Brossois is 
in the grand scheme of things, their fifth goalie. You had Robin Leonard, who was out for the season this year. Logan Thompson, who was going to take over after after having a really impressive run to end last year, even though they fell short in the playoffs. He ends up taking over the job. He struggles with injury issues all year. Then you have Aiden Hill carrying the load for them for a little bit and looking competent in that, but clearly they didn't have the trust there. So what do they do? They go out and get Jonathan Quick. And then Jonathan Quick comes into the mix. He looks good a little bit. Then he kind of looks bad, uh, you know, back to his old Kings self. And Laurent Brossois gets healthy, and they pretty much just handed the keys over to him down the stretch over the last few weeks of the season and turned to him instead of a veteran and Quick. And I think that speaks to probably where Quick is at in his career and how they feel about him. But it's, I mean, you got to give credit where it's due. He was able to keep them afloat. Vegas is obviously a very talented team, and they're in a position where, unlike Winnipeg, they don't have to rely on their goalie having to steal games for them, for them to be in contention in a series. Winnipeg, on the other hand, man, I think that they are probably one of the most interesting interesting cases coming up in this upcoming off season, because it kind of feels like they should just rebuild. You have one year left of Halle Buck before he becomes a UFA. You seemingly have over the past couple of years, just developed a mess in the dressing room. I think they have a leadership crisis where you had, of course, obviously we all know, and we've talked about, you know, the issues with Blake Wheeler, not necessarily like that. He is like a cause of the issues, but that, I mean, with him getting the captaincy taken away and just that you've been hearing that there's just issues within the locker room there, the team dynamic, what that core of the leadership group is. You know, you have Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be an upcoming RFA, and we have been getting chatter pretty much since she was he was traded to Winnipeg that he didn't want to re-sign there and that he wanted to look elsewhere for where he wanted to go, namely Montreal, obviously. You know, you have an aging Mark Shifley there in terms of some of your younger guys. You have, you know, some pieces that maybe could make it through a rebuild in Ellers and Connor. But I mean, where does this team go from here? You know, like Neil Pionk really struggled in the postseason. Their 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 blue line just they haven't been able to figure it out. They've been trying to, I think, put band-aids on a much larger issue and just really, even though they have quote unquote invested in the position, it clearly isn't enough to get them over the hump. And again, even though you do have this talent up front with all of these guys, you know, your Shifley's Dubois, Connor, Ellers, all of these guys, and and even some younger guys too, and Cole Perfetti. um, There's a couple of names I'm missing here. Like you still were relying night in and night out on Connor Hellybuck having to steal you games. And obviously that comes with the territory of being one of the best goalies in the league. You know, it's not too far off, I think, from Sorokin and the Islanders, but I mean, where does Winnipeg go from here? Like you have these upcoming contracts. You have not been able to figure it out. This iteration of the team is definitely, I would say, uh, of this core, like probably the least enticing. So does that front office, you know, look at the situation right now and say, well, we've had a first round exit. We have not been able to get over the hump. We haven't been able to win. I mean, what they've, the farthest they've gone, I think is winning around maybe throughout this course tenure. I think they've maybe done that. What once or twice, if I'm, they not... went to the conference finals in 2018. They, okay. In 18, it was that. Okay. Yeah. So, but still you haven't been able to get over the hump. And again, you know, the, the iteration of this team that we saw, 
five, six years ago, even, you know, a few years ago, as compared to where it is now, it's, it's ebbed and flowed, but it's now this version of it is older and there's a lot of questions here. And so I think Winnipeg is in an interesting position in that. Is it going to be painful for a fan base that has been making the playoffs pretty regularly? We'll say that, you know, to then have to like kind of turn things around and just commit to a rebuild the, like the off season right after making the playoffs. Yeah, that's going to suck. But I think with the assets that you have there, not that it would be necessarily like quick that you have a, a year of pain and then you're back in it or anything like that. But I think that they can position themselves to have a really bright future. If they know how to correctly handle and move the assets that they have, like, I do not think Connor Hollybuck is going to sign there for the rest of his career with how things have gone. And if you listen to his end of year press conference or after uh, game five, if you listen to that press conference, it did not inspire a lot of confidence in terms of how he is looking at this team moving forward. And then also on top of that, you have your head coach throwing guys under the bus in his end of year press conference as well. Or the, again, like the same thing, you know, the post games, the elimination game press conference, you haven't thrown up, throwing these guys under the bus. Like, it just feels like something bad is brewing there, but Winnipeg can actually get out ahead of it. And if they do commit to rebuilding, they, I think, could be in a very good position two, three years from now. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I It does seem like Hellbuck's a logical uh, trade target then. Uh, but yeah, moving on to number six, I have the Oilers and Kings, which I think going in was really interesting because, I mean, the Kings... Uh, from like, I don't know, I want to say like January to March were super hot, and the Oilers started the end of the season super hot. This was a good series, and I think it's an interesting one. Uh, and me having it six is also a reflection of the playoffs are pretty interesting all around. But they the Kings were up in the series 2-1, and they were up 3-0 in game four. So the Oilers' comeback there was huge. Like, that was... I mean, that like, that turned everything around. They would have been on 3-1. They would have been in a real hole, and them coming back led to, you know, they even the series and then they're able to close it out in six. Uh, statistically, they are, they're still scoring a lot. Last year, I, I think McDavid led the playoffs in scoring despite getting swept in the conference finals. I could be mistaken about that, but I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, and then looking at, at goaltending in this series, Corpus Aldo was really good. That was another, another thing. Corpus Aldo was really good for the first few games and that really kept him in it. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And then, you know, not as impressive. Uh, and then you have, I mean, you Stuart Skinner, who did not have actually a very good series for Edmonton. So their power play, their their top two guys, that was all very important scoring-wise for them. So, yeah, the, the Oilers moving on, that's exciting. We if This is like, I don't, I don't want to say it's the first time, because last year they played the Kings in the first round, and they won in seven games, but... Just seeing the Oilers for the I wouldn't say the first time in the McDavid era come and do a first round and just like, all right, we're taking care of business. I, I think every previous time they've won the first round, they've had to go to seven games. So that's that's pretty cool. And then you know the Kings are a really good team. This was uh this is a good first round matchup. The Kings played really well down the stretch, and they're another team that yeah, goaltending is a huge question mark. Absolutely. Like they, they had to send Cal Peterson to the AHL in the first year of his extension. Jonathan Quick, they traded. Phoenix Copley played a bunch of games. And then they had to trade for Jonas Corposalo, who I don't know how much you trust a guy like that. So 
and on the other side, how much does Edmonton trust Stuart Skinner? I don't That's know. fair. That's fair. I think yeah, they're going to be an interesting playoff team all throughout, though. So it was a good series. I agree. I think the thing with that series, too, I mean, it was really exciting last year. And I do think you can make the argument that the highs of this series were as good as just about any other series. I mean, it was really entertaining hockey, and you really got to give the Kings credit. I think that, you know, it's it's tough when you're having to make a goaltending upgrade midseason. As we know as Sabres fans, it's not the easiest thing at the deadline to be able to go out and find a, a capable starter like that. So they make the move for Corpi Salo. Obviously, that also involves getting Gavrikov, which I know, I mean, he's, he's you know, established a good reputation and is, is very solid in his own right. But, I mean, Corpi Salo wasn't good with Columbus. And sure, you could say, oh, well, how much of that is a product of the team in front of him? And that's absolutely fair. I can totally get behind that. But you also know what you're getting with a guy like Corpi Salo. I mean, even prior to Columbus being this bad, he was in the mix for them in net when they were good and they were competing and they were a, a playoff team, albeit, you know, not like a Stanley Cup contender. But even then, he wasn't able to steal the job away, you know, fully from Mer- Lincoln's. Blah, sorry about that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what do you, you know, it's it's kind of like, what do you expect? Like, yes, he did have a good start to the series, but at the same time, you, you had to think that Corpi Salo just that the wheels were going to come off because he's just not that guy. What I will say though, about LA, like you said, they put up a good fight. And I think that you have a really good core there. I know that you have some older guys in the mix there, but you also have a a ton of young talent in the ranks. And especially too, as we see what another off season for Quentin Byfield looks like. I mean, I think he started to kind of put some things together after having a pretty slow start here. But I think that if he's able to, even get close to what we thought that his ceiling was with him coming out of the draft. I think that you could be in a really good position in your top six, because you also have Kevin Fiala. You also have Adrian Kempe. Like you have some really solid pieces. You have some, some RI pieces on the blue line too, with Brand Clark, you have Sean Dursey, who's a nice depth defenseman for them. Um, but here's what I want to throw out to you, Taylor. LA makes a ton of sense for Connor Hallibuck. I, I think oh, yeah. that is maybe the best destination for him. LA may be the best suitor there. I, I just think that it makes too much sense for LA to make it their top priority this offseason to go out and get a guy like Hallie Buck. And if they do that, oh boy, they are going to be a fun team to watch next year. That is for damn sure. So something to keep in mind there. We'll see what happens. But Edmonton moves on and yeah, I, I just think, again, you know, we saw the reasons why myself and so many other people picked Edmonton to really make a run because McDavid and Drysaddle are just on a, another level right now. And they seemingly just know how to really ramp up their already dominant play in the playoffs. And it's like whenever they are out on the ice, if if one of them or both of them are out on the ice, it's like the other team doesn't even have a chance to just take the puck off of their stick because they are just so unbelievably dominant out there so really great series i think that edmonton should be feeling really good right now and i think also for what it's worth like obviously it sucks with back-to-back first round exits but la man they figure out goaltending if they go out and get hallibuck and 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 take a big swing there i do not think we'll be talking about la getting kicked out of the first round next year to say the least yeah i absolutely agree 
Uh, LA has got a weird thing going on, like long term, where they've basically either made a run or lost in the first round, like an insane amount of times now. I yep. think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the fourth straight playoff appearance where they've lost in the first round. Is it four in a row? Oh my god, I didn't even. I thought they had missed and no, then were not no, not in a row. Four straight. Oh, okay. They lost in the first round. Got so you. Like 2016, 2018, and then the last two years. Whereas before that, uh, they they you know they won two cups in three years and also went to a conference final. So yeah, that's interesting. I guess they just don't like losing in the second round is what I'm getting at here. Uh, but anyway, moving on, Dallas, Minnesota, number five. So. My Stanley, preseason Stanley Cup prediction officially dead because Minnesota lost to Dallas in six. And I think that was an interesting series for multiple reasons because, for starters, it, Dallas is kind of, a, kind of a sneaky cup contender, in my opinion. They have not gotten talked about as much, but really, now that Colorado's gone especially, I don't think anyone thinks Kraken are going to the cup. So you're down to three realistic options here. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, two of those options – don't really have good goaltending. You know who does have good goaltending? The Dallas Stars. They sure do. But you know who else had good goaltending and didn't use it all the time? The Minnesota Wild. So uh, for people that, you know, maybe didn't pay as much attention to Minnesota in the regular season, by the end of it, they had been swapping uh, Philip Gustafson in with Marc-Andre Fleury to close out the regular season. Gustafson was playing a lot better, but I think the logic seemed to be at the time you want you don't want Gustafson worn out for the playoffs because they were pretty much a shoe in for the playoffs. So why you know kind of run him ragged in the end of the regular season? Uh, there's you know a lot of uh, data out there that says you know you shouldn't play your goalies too much or whatever. So yeah, and he's not a guy that's taken on a big workload before. Uh, so I think most people logically assumed that's going to be it. And then once the playoffs start, it's going to be just Gustafson because Flurry probably due to his age more than anything had not been playing as well by the end of the regular season. So game one, you get a Minnesota gets a win. Gustafson plays well. Game two, they play Flurry. And Flurry only he started game two. That was it. He played in another game. I don't remember which one. Flurry ended the playoffs uh giving up seven goals on 37 shots. So there's an 8-11 save percentage. Meanwhile, Gustafson was at a 921. <laughs> Gotta think that throwing away Oof. game two, playing a clearly not ready to play Marc-Andre Flurry was huge for that series. I mean you win that game, who knows? And and granted, they didn't actually really play all that well in that game either. So they didn't do Flurry any favors, but Jesus, still. Uh, and yeah, so that was it was a good series, though, overall, I thought. I think it was very competitive aside from game two. Uh, Gustafson, like I said, played really well. But Dallas aside, and part of the reason I think you can look at them as a real cup contender, few reasons. One, Ottinger, playing extremely well, just like he did last playoffs, just like he's really done since he stepped into the NHL. It's a goal you can really trust. Two, Jason Robertson. I don't know how your take, but, you know, he's good. Three, <laughs> you know who is currently leading the playoffs in points? Tell the people. It's your good friend, Rupins. You're damn right it is. That's future Hall of Famer, Rupins, to you. That's right. He has 12 points in six games. Literally two points per game. He's leading the playoffs. Also, Tyler Sagan, not playing bad. The old mm-hmm. guys, Sagan and Ben, they've been kind of a albatross contract-wise recently. Not bad. It just Dallas looks really good all, all the way around. So I think that I'm not going to say they're going to win the cup, but you know, they're, they're a real contender to make it out of the West. Yeah. Uh, they, that's, besides that, that's pretty much all I have for that series. It's a really competitive two, three in the central and Minnesota could have won, 
So that's kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think Dallas is a very dangerous team because as we've said, if you, they, they are maybe the only team left in the West that act, not even maybe they definitively are the only team left in the West that has the high end elite goal scorers, but also has elite goaltending. Like Jake Ottinger is one of the best goalies in the league in terms of future outlook. I mean, if you want to look at the next, let's call it like five to seven years in the NHL, how many goalies are you taking ahead of Jake Ottinger? Like maybe, maybe a handful, like maybe Shesterkin, Saros. Maybe. Broken. And even maybe with those guys too, Gottinger's younger than all of them and has been putting That's up true. unbelievable. Oh, Devin Levi also. Playoffs. What am I saying? I would rather have Jake Ottinger than Devin Levi. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't if, mean you have to say it. No, I was going to say if anybody, if there is a single Sabres fan listening that has an issue with that, please like take the Homer hat off for a minute. It, it is a preposterous thing. To uh, I'm going to keep the Homer hat on. I'd rather have Devin Levi. Are you serious? Yeah. I I think that is legitimately insane. I want people to like me that listen to the show. So. Oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah, no, Dallas, I yeah, think. You, you can't do video of this because they see what actual Homer hat I'm wearing. Oh, right now, yeah. They would not be happy. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, but you I, know, but... if it makes you guys feel better, the Yankees are going 82 and 80 this year. So 82 and 80. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, I, I agree, though. I think this was a, a really solid series. I think that the two teams were, generally speaking, pretty evenly matched. Goaltending, of course, as we said, it did make a difference in this series. But, yeah, I think Dallas has to be feeling pretty good right now, at least with Colorado being knocked out of the mix. I mean, obviously, again, like you have the, the other two teams still very solid in their own right and a lot of offensive firepower there. So it should be very interesting. I'm I'm curious to see how the West is going to continue to shake out here, but I'm liking what I'm seeing from Dallas so far. And I think, again, Jake Ottinger has just proven that he's the kind of guy that can steal a series for you in addition to Dallas already having some solid firepower with future Hall of Famer Rupe Hintz leading the way. Yeah, for sure. All <laughs> right, so the fourth one I have is uh, the New York, well, or Tri-State Area Series, I should say, Devils Rangers. Hmm. So that, I mean, I think that was going to be interesting regardless because it has two rivals playing in the first round, which they haven't played in the playoffs in like a decade or more. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a minute. I think it hasn't it been 20 years. No, they played each other in the conference final in 2012. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I don't yeah. know why I was thinking back because didn't they, what they do? Oh, one where they did they play against each other? Maybe, but I was also thinking the Sean Avery series as well was like mm. 09. Okay, I must have been way off with like thinking that you're right. I am forgetting about those early 2010s. Anyways, though, carry on. So both good teams for very different reasons, honestly. But the, this series started off with the Rangers kind of destroying them for two games, really dominated, and it kind of laid bare how much more playoff experience the Rangers had than this Devils team. Uh, but then that didn't seem to matter because the Devils played significantly better for three straight games, one of three, two in the series, despite the fact that Shesterkin was playing really well. Uh, and then Rangers obviously win game six. We're going to game seven tonight, so we don't know how that turns out yet. I think regardless of how it turns out, this has been a, a really good and interesting series. Uh, always good for rivals to play in the first round. And always nice to have a seven-game series. But what's kind of a couple of things here that are really interesting to me, 
like I mentioned, Shesterkin there. If I would have told you before the series there's going to be six games that Shesterkin's going to have a 9-3-9 save percentage, you'd have think like, oh, yeah, the Rangers must have closed the Devils out for sure. But that kind of speaks to how dominant the Devils have been the last three games. Like, these games have been close. But a, a big reason why uh, they've been close is because Shesterkin, not because the Rangers are playing super well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Devils goaltending can be kind of interesting. So they're playing – so Vitek Vanacek, uh, I mentioned how bad uh, Flurry was. Vanacek, pretty close. He's an 827 when he played. Oof. He was awful. So they replaced him with Akira Schmid. Is that yep. how you say that? He's he's playing awesome too. So now the series has two incredible goaltenders in the more recent games. And the Devils – I well, game six I didn't actually watch, but it seemed like the Rangers kind of had their way there. But games three, four, and five – those are really the devil series. So I guess we'll see going into the night. I, I'm interested to see how this goes. Like this has been, you don't really see a lot of goaltending battles like this. Schmidt in his, his games is a 937. Shesterkin a 939. No playoff goalie has higher than either of them. They're one and two in save percentage. So very interesting. And I very think that's the start so. of like the really good slash fascinating series. Yeah, I am. I'm very much so pulling for the devils in this one. They were my, actually, I had them coming out of the East. If I'm, I I think I had shared this before, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like they're one of those teams that, I mean, they're young and it just, I don't know. I feel like there's one that just those teams that make those improbable runs. I'm hoping that Seattle is not the one that's taken over now that they've knocked out Colorado. But I do think that when you look at with New Jersey, I mean, goaltending has been, I don't want to say a question mark for them because Vanacek has been solid for them throughout the year, but they had their injury issues that they were dealing with. Schmidt had some stretches throughout the season as a starter and got a good amount of games. Mackenzie Blackwood was hurt for a, a good portion of the season. And when he did play, he wasn't particularly inspiring a whole lot of confidence there. But when you look at the roster itself, you know, obviously you look at the Rangers and their additions that they've made, you know, with adding Tarasenko and Kane, and then just you have a, a good amount of depth there as well. And of course, with Tristurkin, you know, leading the way for them in net. But New Jersey is really no slouch when it comes to to their depth as well. And I think one of the things that is really working in their favor, in addition to their goaltending, and obviously, you know, we know about the firepower up front. You have Jack Hughes, you have Timo Meyer, you have one of the best two-way centers in the league this year, and Nico Heischer, you have Jesper Bratt, you have uh, a seasoned veteran with playoff experience, and Andres Palat. Like, you have a lot of guys there, but man, the Devils' blue line is really interesting, really solid. Like, you have a, a really good makeup there with some of the names on the back end, and Thinking about that team moving forward and just having, you know, in the long-term sense, Luke Hughes thrown into the mix there as well. Um, New Jersey is a team that, I mean, we'll see if, you know, like do you how confident do you feel that Vanacek is actually like a, a, a number one goalie in the league? Consistent number one goalie. Fair confidence? No. Not at all? No confidence, yeah. Okay. So that's the thing. For me, it's like if they can – at least answer that question definitively in net. You could be looking at a team that's set up to be a contender for five plus years now. I mean, the Rangers are kind of on their way out. It seems like obviously, you know, they probably have, they have some juice in them still, the Rangers. They still have a, a couple years, I would say, of of still being a contender here. But the clock is ticking, whereas that door is just opening up for the devils. And I think that Jack Hughes is just going to continue to get better. I think that 
as they will after the, I mean, we'll see how the series goes. Like who knows they could go on a run here too, but even in the long-term sense, like figuring out more about, you know, what the, the makeup of this team is going to look like. I mean, you still have Alexander Holtz. You have other good young guys like Dawson Mercer there too. Like they have the potential to be, you know, in a similar spot to where we feel like the Sabres are headed, where it's like perennial cup contender. It's just, they have to figure out what's going on in goal for them, but really good series so far. I'm really excited to see what happens here. I'm pulling for the devils. I would like to see again. It's always fun seeing the the young up and coming teams take down the, the savvy vets. So we'll see what happens in game seven. And I'm really looking forward to talking about that on Thursday. Yeah. Before we get to the top three here, uh, would you like to hear a word from our sponsors? I, I would simply love to. All right. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Tonight, as we mentioned, the Rangers and Devils are facing off in Game 7 of their pivotal first-round series. On DraftKings right now, a couple uh, interesting uh, bets available. There's a plus 200 surge uh, in first goal score, if you have any confidence in that, uh, and multiple parlays available. Goal scores, player shots on goals, points, assists, first period, uh, race to X number of goals, team goal totals, plus the puck line. Uh, very interesting. The over-under is five and a half. Devils appear to be heavily favored in the in the puck line. In the money line, they are also favored. So if you're interested, that's what's available for tonight's action, DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you're interested, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and over in most eligible states, but the age will vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. You a uh, long-time listener, you know we've had uh, multiple ads over the years. DraftKings has obviously been up with us for a while. Our good pals at Thin Man. And even occasionally, our good friends at Raycon. So, friends... Let's face it, with coffee starting at $5, even without customizations, and our bank account somehow always depleting, we're officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing, but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate or a dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on is Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. So, you know, everyone is uh, looking to save money these days in different ways. We all, every once in a while, spend a little too much and go, oh, can't believe I spent that much money. Sometimes I think some uh, doppelganger of mine goes to like three bars in a weekend and spends like 150 bucks. And it's like, who is this guy? Why do I have to pay for him? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Who's spending all this money at more room and checkers? So we all want to save money. You understand. So don't spend more money on headphones that do the same thing as cheaper ones. Raycon's mission is to provide is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of the other more big name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. 
They offer buy now, pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee, and they offer two years of product protection insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping, and they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. They come with such tremendous features as customizable sound profiles, earbud tap functions, noise isolation, awareness mode, custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit, crystal clear qual quality, water and sweat resistant, and they come with eight hours of playtime. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Yeah, got to extend a, a big welcome back to our, our dear friend, Ray J. He, he missed us, you know. He saw Devin Levi showing out, and he was like, I got to get back in on that action. He's smart. He knows when to get back in. Damn right. <laughs> well... We have one more sponsor. That's Thin Man Brewery. And folks, they got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, we obviously didn't record last week. I would mention they did. They have a Polish champagne available. It's a new lager. It's not quite champagne, actually. It's a 3.5%, so you can drink a lot of it. Uh, it's their take on a, a Polish classic. And it's supposed to smell like a campfire while you're sipping on it. Good summer beer, crisp and refreshing. You know, it's like, well, I, I say summer. We're not quite to the summer yet. It is going to rain and be 51 degrees for the foreseeable future, but eventually it will be summer here. I'm so this untold. Weekend, we're supposed to be 60s and sunny this weekend. And then I think uh, it's like high 70s um, starting next week. So we're, we're getting closer. Something to look forward to. Yeah. And then obviously, uh, upcoming this weekend is the Lager Jam Thin Man Brewery. It's from 12 to 7 p.m., it's at the Elmwood location. Uh, there'll be nine breweries there total, 14 total lagers, merch drop, sets by DJ Lil Gabby. And $20 gets you in. It'll get you a Thin Man Stein uh, with your first pour. And then from there, you'll get $5 lagers, $2 Thin Tubes, discounted merchandise. So you can get tickets at Thin Man Brewery. Uh, sorry, thinmanbrewery.com. That's where you get your tickets. And as we mentioned, you know, coming up this summer, July 22nd, is the Weirdly Wonderful Beer Fest. So tickets are available now at weirdlywonderful.com. That is going to be, this is a new thing. It's orchestrated in collaboration with, I believe this is pronounced Rhizome Productions, but 60 or more breweries from all over the world to be live music and some other stuff. So, hey, if you want some early bird or VIP VIP tickets on sale, weirdlywonderful.com. And uh, anything else you have on Thin Man Brewery? I mean, you could still get American Lemieux. If you're, if yeah, you're, I was going to say, we didn't even have a chance to have our uh, our post-trivia three little thank you to everybody who came out. It was unbelievable. It was our biggest trivia yet. It was amazing. Folks who just came out to hang out and try out American Lemieux. And I know it's, it's you know, still, of course, being sold. We're just kind of getting underway with that. So we've had a really great response to it so far. So whether you are in Buffalo or Rochester and are a listener, make sure you are going and picking up an American the Mew, or you can just go stop by Thin Man, get it out of the cooler there yourself, and uh, maybe grab a bite to eat while you're there, or go hang out, get it on tap. It's gonna be just, it's gonna be there for a bit. So it's been really great. But again, thank you so much to everybody who joined us for trivia. It was such a great time. And again, I we said it at the event, but I also got to give our shout out to our man Mike who just has been very generous in bringing along some really, really unique and cool prizes for uh, our perfect rounds. He, every time, has brought something that's been really cool. This time around, it was a signed Fred Jackson poster before. It was a framed RJ 
uh, cut out of the uh, of the paper from after his last game. I mean, it, he's just been amazing with that. So, Mike, if you are listening, man, thank you so much. We very, very much appreciate it. And again, we appreciate everybody who's come out and and spent their uh, their Monday nights with us. And with that being said, Monday, May twenty second is going to be the next iteration of Buffalo Sports Trivia Night between Straight Up Sabers. And Thin Man Brewery and and very exciting news, too, as we talked about, we're going to be doing this once a month moving forward as we get into these summer months and the weather gets a little bit nicer. It is going to be extended out onto the patio, folks. So a lot of really cool stuff coming up. Make sure you are stopping by Thin Man to hang out anytime, but make sure especially you're there on Monday, May 22nd for our next Buffalo Sports Trivia Night. Yep. And yeah, also congrats to Mike Monahan. Uh Not only did he bring those and get a perfect round, uh, his team uh, finished uh, first for the second in the uh, second of our three events and also finished second that other time. So been top two every time. So uh, their name's Ben, I believe Eichel sucks, Eichel still sucks, and Eichel will always suck. So I'm interested to see where they go for the fourth time uh, with the name. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much it. You know, see Thin Man Brewery if you're uh, interested in the uh, anything we mentioned today all right uh so moving on number three i have toronto and tampa it's an interesting series because i think despite all the you know whining that goes on north of the border i don't think toronto has ever really truly been super unlucky i think i, I guess you can argue they got goalied pretty bad in 2020 in the bubble when you know you're the corpus corpus Allo, like I mean, how – yeah, you can be mad about that, I guess. Uh, 2021, I don't know. Carey Price is good. Other than that, though, I think they've mostly gotten outplayed in very close series, and that's – they've never had the look of a team that was going to win the Cup or whatever. I'm going to say they actually got luckier. They have been more lucky in this round than they ever had been ever, – that ever been unlucky because we'll, – let's start with this. They get spanked in game one, but then they turn around and have a good game too. That's kind of par for the course of the Leafs. That's kind of what they do. Um, but then game three, they are thoroughly outplayed and they win because they got a late goal. They get a goal in overtime. Game four, the the Lightning blow a three-goal lead. And then obviously they win in overtime again in game six. So three overtime wins. Overtime can kind of be a coin flip in the playoffs. So I don't know how much credit you want to give them for going three and zero in overtime, but here's here's where they've gotten lucky in my in my opinion. Besides the fact that they finally played um, a Tampa team that was it's kind of falling off a little bit. Like they they only finished five points ahead of the Sabers this year. They did not finish the season strong. They don't they don't look like the same dominant Tampa team uh, as before. But here's a big reason: Vasilevsky hit an eight seven five save percentage in that series. I don't know if he's hurt, he's in a funk or whatever, but. You're not going to get a lot of playoff series where Vasilevsky is an 875. He was terrible. And Tampa, I thought, thoroughly outplayed Toronto throughout the series and basically lost because of how bad Vasilevsky was, particularly last Monday in game four. Shockingly then, bad. Yeah, for sure. And Toronto didn't even need their goaltending to be that good. Uh, Samsonov ended up as a 900 goalie, exactly. So that's even below average, but it didn't even matter. So, I mean, that's that's basically the long and short of it. Vasilevsky was terrible. Toronto got their overtime goals and now they they kind of get a, a big break because as we'll talk about soon they're gonna be playing the florida panthers who you know they've been playing well lately are 
are not quite uh, the kind of team you usually see in the second round. So I guess we'll see what Toronto does with that. Things are lining up pretty well for them. What a goddamn disaster that Tanner Janot trade was. Oh, my God. Everybody knew in the first place for Tampa that that was going to be bad, but guy was getting scratched in the playoffs, and you gave up, like, five picks for him and a prospect. Uh, Well, let me tell you something here with Julian Brisbois. He has a – I think he ran into an issue where he looked at them winning in 2020 and 2021 and getting there last year and was like, oh, yeah. That's all Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, and Pat Maroon. Like, instead of thinking of them as, like, nice pieces to have that maybe you overpay a little bit for at the deadline, God, he thought about them as, like, what made it happen versus 2019 when they didn't have those guys. Right. And that's what happens. You you overpay for a guy like that. Now they have, like, no picks going forward. So it's a risk. I would really like to wonder, again, like, what that trade call must have been like because – did David Poley just like have his phone on mute? And after <laughs> Brisebois was like, all right, we'll give you a first for Janot. And then he finally figured like, there's gotta be like, how did that deal come to be? I just, I need to That's know. Fascinating. I don't know what David Poley put in Brisebois coffee that morning that just made him <laughs> just give up a ridiculous amount of assets. I mean, was was Janot like maybe the trade that got the best return at the deadline? Ryan O'Reilly's up there too. ROR, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Either way, I mean, I, for the life of me, just still, I don't think anybody understands what the psyche was behind that move. I uh, yeah. Clearly, it came back to bite Tampa in the ass. I also think, though, for what it's worth, I mean, the NHL regular season is really long. The postseason is a grind. And Tampa made it until the very end. Three years in a row. Yeah. You know, like that absolutely have to be exhausted right now. And so obviously, you know, th- this sucks for them, I guess. I mean, I would if I was there, like any of their fans, I'd be like, ah, oh, oh well, like we just got a couple of cups out of it. Like, big deal. Like, we'll be okay. They'll get some extra rest right now. It'll be fine. They get a little bit of a longer offseason to try and and just recoup here, figure their shit out. And again, man, I mean, Vasilevsky was just, it was the only way to put it is shockingly bad. Like for a guy that has rightfully earned the reputation of being one of the best goaltenders in the league, one of the three to five best goalies in the NHL, it was stunning to see how just his positioning looked off just the shots that he was letting in were just very weak. It it was so uncharacteristic of him and you got to just wonder if it just gets chalked up to the fatigue is just like caught up with them. Yeah, it's definite possibility. It's and frankly age, like looking at a lot of their best players, like none of them are that young, like Hedman, Kucherov, Stamkos, I mean, points pretty young. Yeah. But a lot of these guys are like they're on the wrong side of 30 or at least close to it. Yep. And sometimes it happens faster than you think in hockey. I mean, you look at the Blackhawks, obviously Kane is still productive to this day, but you look at like how fast they fell off after their third cup. Like they didn't mm-hmm. win a playoff series again. <laughs> they still haven't. If you don't count the the weird bubble playing round, that's that that happened quick. Like Duncan yeah. Keith, all of a sudden he looked old. Marion Hosa couldn't play anymore. Patrick Sharp, gone. Brent Seabrook, especially. Like, sometimes this just happens. Yeah. 
maybe it happened mid-season for them because that that's not a good finish for them. 96 points, I believe it was, that they had. Yep. That's not great. And the way they they played down the stretch was also not great. They theoretically should have been playing for uh, home ice advantage down the stretch with Toronto, and they didn't even come close. But yeah, it's it's just a and I it, I say all this, they still probably should have won with if goaltending being even yes. they would have won. But the big 100%. thing is Vasilevsky. Hundred percent, and it's funny too. If you would have told me that going into this series that Vasilevsky would have been the difference with Tampa losing, I, I I would not have believed you. But also just to backtrack quickly because we talked about it before the Devils Rangers matchup. So it was in 2012 there in the conference quarter fi- or the conference finals. 2008 was the conference quarterfinals. 2006, another one for the conference quarterfinals. I was thinking of the 97 series where the Rangers beat them four to one. So that was what I was getting confused with, like the late 90s, early 2000s one. So that's my bad. Oh. But yeah, they've had three in the meantime. 06, Devils sweep four nothing in the conference quarters. 08, conference quarters, Rangers four to one. Conference finals in 2012, Devils, of course, win that one four to two. And we will see what ends up happening tonight. Mm, interesting. All right. Uh, I also would say that this series of Toronto and Tampa was big because we just mentioned the Tanner Juneau thing. If if Tampa had won, I mean, it wouldn't be over yet. We would by today. I don't believe. I believe Game Seven would also be tonight. But theoretically, if Tampa had won their series at some point, we would be talking about the Ryan O'Reilly trade or all the trades Toronto made. Toronto has very few picks going forward. They really are all in on this year. So mm-hmm. still could lose to Florida. Could lose to Carolina, New Jersey, or New York eventually. But this is going to be the first round. It's something. This, for this is our. This is Sam Reinhardt's moment to do a Sabres fans proud and knock these sorry ass losers out of the playoffs in the second round. I also will say though, on like a real note, when it comes to that, I cannot wait to see Matthew Kachuk go up against this Toronto team. He is going to be, I mean, he already has been just a monster. He's had an unbelievable season. I think he's firmly established himself. I would say like you can very much make the argument that Matthew Kachuk is maybe the fifth best player in the NHL and win the top five, we can say. Um, But man, he, I cannot wait to see how he's going to be just under their skin in this series. It's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very, very chippy. And uh, it should be a very interesting one to watch. And again, I, it seems like it's the theme of a lot of the, the series that we've been talking about, but goaltending for the Panthers, man, <laughs> I do not trust Sergei Bobrovsky at all. Nope. Nope. It's a problem. All right. Keep it moving here. What else? we got? Right. Colorado, Seattle at number two. So people might be surprised about this, but you know, it's a West Coast series, so maybe some people on the East Coast couldn't watch it as much. It is the defending champion um, two-seed getting knocked out by a second-year franchise winning their first-ever playoff series. That's That registers as a kind of a big shock for me, at the very least. Absolutely. Congrats yeah. to Seattle. They've now won as many playoff series as the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's huge. Uh, again, not counting the bubble year. What a weird series. I got to say, like Seattle got to the playoffs basically on the strength of unsustainable shooting percentage, not to be too dismissive of them, but they had the fourth highest shooting team shooting percentage uh, of the quote unquote analytics era. And this is year 16. So in the last 16 years, only three teams have had a higher team shooting percentage. I think there were more than three teams that had more shooting talent than Seattle. I don't know if you agree, Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it, there's a lot of luck there. Now, on the other hand, they got they have another thing working against them, which is despite the fact that they play good team defense, they haven't had consistent goaltending these last couple of years. So True. they are a solid team. They play solid team defense. They got lucky one way. They got unlucky that Philip Grubauer is terrible. But folks, not in the playoffs. The, the, the reason I, I was so confident, I probably would have been more confident in Colorado than anyone except Boston, and they both lost. Um, part of the reason I was so confident, though, is because I don't I didn't see a path to uh, Colorado having a, a bad scoring series, really. I know you shouldn't ever think that in hockey, but I just, I just thought, like, oh, Colorado will score, and we'll see if Seattle can stay hot. Because, folks, Seattle was not good in the second half of the year. They were very average. From the time that they shut out Boston in Boston – the rest of the year, super average. And they made the playoffs on the strength of how hot their start was. So I was thinking, like, this this isn't a real contender. Here's the weird thing about the series, though. Grubauer was a 926. Grubauer was awesome. Yeah. And he hasn't been awesome all year. He's been bad. That was so that's just that's legitimately stunning to me. Like, oh, okay, he did play super well. Uh and meanwhile, though, like you would also expect, oh, you get upset, your goalie, your unreliable young goalie that you traded for, Colorado. They probably weren't as good as you thought they were going to be. No, Georgiev was fine. Georgiev was a 9-14. He didn't have a yep. bad series. Like it just came down to all these close games. And you would think this team, Seattle, that has such little um playoff experience, <laughs> like overall, would not win these close games in the playoffs, and that the Avs would be the defending champions, but you would be wrong. Multiple one goal games, including game seven last night, Seattle won two one. It's just it's weird. It, it looks like a veteran team with a, a goalie who uh, played extremely well. That's the opposite of what I would have expected. So now I don't know what to expect from Seattle, but. Who knows, man? Yeah, yeah. Grubauer held it down for them. It was it was really impressive to see that he just kind of snapped back into it. Because, again, like you said, he had a uninspiring year. I mean, obviously, it was good enough to get them into the playoffs. but and, and it was a bounce back from last year. Like, let's be clear here. Last year was an absolute nightmare season for Philip Grubauer. But even thinking about Seattle earlier this year, I mean, there was a stretch run there where Martin Jones was, like, killing it for them. Yeah. But either way, though, you get into this series. <laughs> yeah. You get into this series, though, and I think for Colorado's sake, I mean, this is – not drastic, but it is a different team from what we saw last year with the one that won the cup. They were incredibly deep. Their secondary scoring was off the charts good. And you just really didn't have that to the same degree this year. You, you know, you still had your blue line that was, you know, generally speaking, kept intact with a really, really strong top four. But this is also a team that was missing Gabriel Landeskog and, that makes a big difference for them for the flexibility that it gives them throughout the rest of their lineup. I think Colorado is going to be fine. I mean, Sackick is one of the best GMs in the NHL. And I think that if there's one thing that we've seen from him is that he knows how to go out and find cost-effective options that end up making an impact for this team and being able to have these kind of like reclamation projects that end up playing pretty pretty strong roles for this Colorado team. However, what I'm interested in again, like Sackick is a very capable GM and is good with these savvy moves, but after a first round exit, does Colorado make a big swing to improve their forward group this summer? I think that they do. I think that they are, we'll see what happens. Cause I know that they obviously have some cap issues that they're going to have to work around a little bit, but 
you already your defense is set like their defense is intact like they are good on that moving forward I just wonder could we see Colorado make a massive move because I think one of the things that was so pivotal for them last year was Nazim Kadri and how great he was I mean you had him having a career year playing at over a point per game pace for them on that second line. And it made the difference, but they really didn't have anybody. Evan Rodriguez, I think filled in admirably for them throughout this year uh, in terms of, again, like providing like secondary scoring, but Evan Rodriguez is not Nazim Kadri. And I think that having that one, two punch down the middle was something that really kept them back this year. I mean, Colorado was, we all, we had a feeling that they were going to make the playoffs. We knew that they would, but it was a question for a little bit because of how they were playing. And of course there were a lot of injuries that they had to deal with and endured, but yeah, I'm looking at Colorado this off season as a very interesting case because I would not be surprised at all if they go out and make like a home run move to bring in somebody to be the two C for them or a dynamic scoring winger that they can put on the second line there. Yeah, I agree. It definitely hurt them that they didn't have Landis Gog. That's their captain among, you know, one of the better forwards. Uh, also, Nachushkin. Yeah. Second of the series. And I actually, this is kind of an aside, but that, I think that's the way that was talked about, the Nachushkin thing, which we still don't know all the details of it. We just know that uh, a young woman was in his hotel room and needed to be taken to the hospital. Yeah. For medical. I don't know how much information there is about that. And then he immediately left. But before that, it was just he's leaving for personal reasons. Just that he's out for a little while for personal reasons. Uh, and then I think there was a lot of scolding on hockey Twitter about like, don't even, don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't uh, theorize about what he could possibly be. Don't speculate. And, or in, you know, in the media's case, don't report on it. And I, I, I think it's a, it, these kind of things can be a touchy thing to report on because you don't, you want to make sure you have everything uh, going in that you know. Correct. Yeah. Um, but you, yes, you absolutely report on it. I guess some ways I'm like a, a, a public knowledge absolutist. Not, not quite, but like I think that a lot of professional athletes are public figures and you don't have to know everything all the time about them. But situations like this, you should get a reason. So if someone says this very, you know, good, talented forward for a potential cup contender is leaving in the middle of the playoffs, suddenly it's not even announced before the game. It's announced after a game. Um Oh, he's just out for a little while. It's not an injury. It's not an illness. And here's the thing. This is what immediately was a red flag to me. If it, they said family reasons, easy. Just like, oh, there's probably death in the family or something like that. Right. If they said he was going to the player assistance program, well, fine. Don't yeah, need the details, fine. right. Yeah. But they didn't say either of those things. So I don't. I just, some of these people on, on Twitter, like, use your heads. Like, this is suspicious. This is this is not something like oh okay and this is why this is why you can't just take a team's word at face value like oh it's it's personal reasons don't worry about it because they lied it's not personal reasons this is very clearly something we don't yep. know what it is yet and I wouldn't speculate on that but it's something so hopefully there's more information on what that is it's I, it's just I don't understand that at all it's 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 pretty ridiculous to me and I think it, it kind of harkens back to a lot of people saying like oh don't worry about what's going on with Kim Pagula and it's like I don't need every detail but we do need to know at some point like yeah, what, what what's going on here uh but so that that kind of annoyed me but from a hockey perspective uh that's a that's another big loss like you mentioned their depth from last year like they didn't they don't have him now he had a great playoffs last year they don't have Burakovsky they don't have Landis Gog. Like there's a lot of guys from last year that they just don't have anymore. The legend Darren Helm. <laughs> um, so 
that it's it is a different team like you mentioned their forward death wasn't there but still very interesting series i think and they could have repeated i think they were still good enough to repeat but it's not an easy thing to do uh so that brings us to the most interesting series <laughs> folks <laughs> paul maurice's revenge <laughs> I've always been a huge Paul Maurice guy. He's been, he was an avid listener of the podcast this year and he needed to get back at us. Yeah. You and I absolutely clowning the Florida Panthers organization (laughs) the entirety of the year, pretty much since the day that that contract was signed, you and I just ruthlessly were making fun of the Florida Panthers for doing that and questioning the move. And boy, oh boy, wouldn't, you know, seemed like it worked out. Okay. Yeah, I mean, hey, maybe if they hired a real coach, they would have been like the two seed and they yeah. wouldn't have had to worry about this. True. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because some of the conversations today are about, is this the biggest upset in NHL playoff history? And I don't know about that. Uh, I actually don't think it's a bigger upset than Columbus Lightning, especially because that was a sweep. I think that's still more of a surprise to me. But I will say, <laughs> Florida getting this defense that they were the president's trophy winners last year. Yeah. Last year they were not this year, this year, they were the team that needed a 31 year old Alex Lyon to turn into Dominic Kashuk for a week for them to even make the playoffs. They're a team that was a really, really close, close offside review away from missing the playoffs in favor of the Sabres making it. So this is not that good of a team. Uh, and their goaltending has been a, a kind of a mess all year and they didn't win by quote unquote goalieing the, the Bruins which I think is interesting. The Bruins also, like, it was so hard coming into the playoffs to think about how they could lose to the Panthers because just it seemed like the Bruins were good at everything, and apparently not. So there's been a few surprising things, but, I mean, you you mentioned earlier that you don't trust Bobrovsky. I don't trust him either, and I I, I don't know how much you would trust Alex Lyon, who started three games for them. He's at a 902. Bobrovsky was an 891, but they won the Bobrovsky games for whatever reason. But looking at the, the Lena's Allmark was an 896 behind that defense. Jeremy Swayman, he played fine-ish yesterday, I guess. But like, what is going on? That was the yeah. number one and number four goalies and save percentage on the regular season. What is happening? They, 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 I don't, did, did Boston's defense get way worse? Did Florida decide they wanted to be 2022 Florida again? I do not I, I don't have an answer for this, Taylor. I am floored by the fact that Florida was able to pull this off. I mean, it was it, it was remarkable. And again, like you the entertainment value in this series was was great. Like you it is rightfully here for a reason. I had a feeling that this was obviously going to be number one because uh, obvious you know, the headlines that go along with it for one, but I mean the the quality of the hockey itself too, man, like holy shit. <laughs> You know, like, that's why, like, I I don't trust Bobrovsky, but how is is Toronto going to handle Florida and the physicality that they play with? I I, I mean, we'll see, like, I but because then, of course, you can also ask, like, how is Florida going to be able to handle, you know, Toronto's offensive firepower and everything like that. But, oh, boy, like, I am honestly stunned by this series. I thought that this was going to be Boston in five, maybe six uh, going into a series where Alex Lyon is your starting goalie and you end up beating the best regular season team in the history of the NHL. Are you kidding me? 
<laughs> what? Really insane. I mean, there was some, I was kind of, I guess I'm kind of homerish on this too, since we hate the Bruins. Um, so yeah, yeah. I wanted to push back against some of the best team ever talk, but it was hard to do because they, they broke the wins record. They broke the goals record or not the goals record. So they broke the wins record and the points record. Um, what I wanted to do when that, I guess when I was trying to think about how to push back, I mean, if they'd gone like 16 and two in the playoffs and won the cup, it would have been impossible. But my thought was with some of those Canadians teams that there was no overtime period. It was tied at the end of regulation. You tied, they won 60 games under those conditions. And that was also in, I want to say an 80 game season back then. So that I believe there's a Canadian scene that won 60, 60, 12 and eight. So I still think those teams are the best. And then you need to do the easy thing of saying like, oh, the original six era, uh, it was basically just Canadian players. There was no Europeans or Americans, blah, 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 all that stuff. I guess you got to judge teams by their time, but this Bruins team. So I, that's one of the things. The other thing I was looking at is like, yeah, look, if they had uh Tuka Rask still, like prime Tuka Rask here, or prime Tim Thomas, and they had this level of state percentage, I'd say you had a great goalie in addition to having this great team, great defense, they could score, all the things you're good at. But the fact that it was Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman, who were both good, it made me think they were a little bit lucky, uh, a little bit. Like maybe this was a little bit of unsustainable state percentage, and maybe it's not all that representative of who these goalies are. Swayman's still young enough that we don't know. I think it's clear to me, Olmark is not a top level goalie on the level with the guys we mentioned earlier, like no. Ottinger, Saros, Sorokin, Shesterkin, uh, Devin Levi. He's not one of those guys. Uh, and I, I think th- that's pretty clear now. I, I don't know what they do with that, but they, they were still good enough to win the cup despite that. Like they won those 65 games. And not despite that, but like they won because he was playing a little bit above a little bit above what he would normally be doing. Uh, so still, though, I think even if you if you knocked both those guys down by a bunch of save percentage points, this might have still been the best team in the NHL. If you had them at like, I don't yeah. know, if, if Allmark was instead like a 928 and Swayman was like a 910, this would probably still be the best team in the NHL. Like, they're so deep. They had good players in every line. They, they have a bunch of guys. They have the thing that's so underrated in hockey, which is guys who are not all-stars, not great, like, but they're just really, really good players. Like players that quote unquote analytics love, but like guys who are just like really um, like rock solid players and just have a lot of those guys, a lot of rock yeah. solid, un- unspectacular guys. Uh, but they also, you know, they really loaded up at the deadline and they also are going to be without uh, quite a few picks in the in the coming years now because of the trades like Tyler Bertuzzi. That was a big trade. Uh, I'm forgetting the other one. Or love. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Orlov. So they made a couple of trades like that. They they don't have a ton of picks going forward. It seems like Bergeron might retire. So we'll see what happens next year. If Bergeron and Crazy are both gone. And Swayman is an RFA. Mm. Questions, questions, questions. Are you going to invest a lot of money in both of your goalies like that with how much they have in Allmark? Is Allmark a candidate to get moved? He might be. Oh, I want to say. He's going to be a good NHL starter, so. Yeah, take oh, yeah. I, I just want to add on. I'd welcome him here, by the way, if that's not clear. Like, What's that? I would, I would still welcome him here. Yeah, um, I think but, I would too, 100%. Yeah, I'm just saying he's not he's not the guy he seems like in a regular season. Right, right. Well, I also want to give a shout-out too for Florida. I think that we could say they won this series because of having Matthew Kachuk, but also Brandon Montour, man. Five goals as a defenseman. Eight points in seven games. Come on. You let a defenseman score five goals on you guys. 
he's logging 24 minutes a night, almost 25 minutes a night. 24.43 is his average time on ice. Wow. Ralph Kruger, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what, 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 I, I, I'm so mad about this. When they made the trade for him and got him from Anaheim, you were doing that based on what his potential was, which is this. It is no secret that Ralph Kruger was just a master of not knowing how to properly utilize guys. We we know this all too well, unfortunately. I think we made this point like a month ago or a month or two ago. Imagine Brandon Montour in this Sabres top four. Imagine him playing with Owen Power. It, it kills me to know that we just wasted this, that we could have him right now. Like it is just so indescribably bad because also with Montour, it was not even like a case of like an Eichel or a Ristolainen or even to a lesser extent, Reinhardt, where it's like, all right, this is a piece of the core. It's not been working. We're rebuilding. We need to just like move on from this. Montour did not fall into that for me. And granted at the time, it was just things were going so poor that you were just kind of like, everybody was like shrugging being like, what the hell are we going to do? Like, this is just, it, it just wasn't working, but oh my God, it bothers me so much that the guy that they had traded for whatever it was now, what, four years ago, right? Five, uh, five years ago. Yeah. Almost five. Yeah. Five, five years yeah. ago. Yeah. That guy has arrived and is here and has completely stepped up for them. And in a way, it's kind of funny that it felt like Mackenzie Weger previously was this unsung hero of the the Florida defense, you know, because obviously it's headlined by Aaron Eckblad. And then he leaves and it's like, wow, man, there's a lot of holes on that defense now. And Montour has just completely stepped up and has been a, a revelation for them. Full stop. So very glad for him. Very mad at the Sabres about that, but I digress. Anyways, I think that this leads into an interesting discussion that one of our listeners, Garrett Shea, our pal, he had reached out with with an interesting point. And I think he made the point with regard to the Kraken, but I think it applies to Florida too. He had said, does the Kraken series win open the door for the Sabres to just make a run next year? And and I, I think the sentiment here is we all know going in to next season, that playoffs are absolutely unequivocally 100% the expectation next year. You need to be a playoff team. With Seattle upsetting Colorado, with Florida upsetting Boston like this, we have seen that the playoffs can be very, very unpredictable. And what may seem like a surefire thing is anything but. So in that sense, seeing these wins, I guess to kind of reframe his question for you, Taylor, a little bit, seeing Florida win and seeing Seattle win like this, does that to you make you want the Sabres to lean all the more into kind of going all out this off season and trying to make a couple of significant upgrades to the roster to put them over to the top because of the fact that you just don't know what's going to happen once you get into the playoffs, but the key is getting there. So, yeah, I mean, that's always a possibility, I think. Looking at the postseason, I think of it two different ways. First of all, like the Seattle way this year, just a couple of things can go right. Or even Florida, you have a good series at the right time. Things go well. You can win. 
your goaltending gets out, whatever, you can win a series. I think you can win two series. We, we've seen for the most part that these teams that just get hot or whatever, they don't really win the cup ever. Still good, like you generally great teams win the cup. But a lot of times these teams do get to the cup. That happens. So, yeah, you, you can see that happen. Another perspective is the Sabres aren't just a team that's trying to be a playoff contender. They're trying to be a cup contender. Like our good pal Mark Messier said, six-time cup winner. He knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And he kind of mentioned it as the Sabres could be like a cup contender going forward, like they have the right pieces. And sometimes when you see that, it happens quicker than you think. So the one example we would go back to from our lifetimes is the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks went from missing the playoffs, not even really close, to going to the conference final to winning the cup. That was three years. The Penguins, Crosby's rookie year, they missed the playoffs. His second year, when Malkin comes there, they make the playoffs and lose in the first round. Third year, they lose the Stanley Cup. Then fourth year, they win the Stanley Cup. And this this can kind of happen quick. Uh, it's just it it really depends about how a couple things like what kind of move they make on defense, what kind of other you know backup slash one B or one A goalie they have next year to play with Levi, and how you how the other guys develop it's Paterka, Cousins, Quinn, but also Coolidge maybe and maybe even Savoy, and does power get a lot better? Those things could all happen. That's the thing. They have a lot of you know balls in the air. And most of the potential outcomes are good. Like the worst case scenario, basically, is they're just as good as they are now. So I, I almost feel like they have to be a playoff team in the next couple of years because of that. But yeah, the best case scenario is they're one of those teams that's better quicker than you think. Mm-hmm. And you know what's another good example? Tampa. Tampa got Tampa was about as good as this year's Sabres in 2014. They got swept in the first round. Might have been a little bit better regular season-wise, but they got swept in the first round. And then the next year they were in the cup. So that's the realistic projection then the Sabres are going to make the playoffs and then when the be in the cup the following year. Is that what you're saying here? 24-25? Let's do it. I love it. Send no, it. I'm just I'm just saying it's a possibility. So yeah, this is definitely something. There's no reason you have to go into this year next year being like, we're gonna lose in the first round. No, I can feel like that. All right. Would you have any last thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor? Uh the Bills signed Latavius Murray. They did. Who you got tonight? Devils Rangers. Devils. Damn right. I'm going with the Devils, too. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And before you do that, make sure you leave us a nice little follow or a subscription. Leave us a rating. We would very, very much appreciate it. And follow them on social media. You can find both the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can also find us straight up sabers last but not least our wonderful sponsors we're back to the three of them now folks just as the way it should be we have DraftKings. make sure you're using that promo code thpn to take advantage of great deals raycon ray j we missed you my friend great to have you back but for all of your audio needs make sure you are checking out raycon and on their website and last but not least make sure you are going to thin man brewery and picking up your four pack of american lemieux and we will see you may 22nd for our next trivia night with that being said everybody we'll be back with a brand new episode on thursday thanks for tuning in this has been straight up sabers 